All right, welcome to Crossing Broadcast. I'm your host, Kyle Scott, joined, as always, by Russell Joy. Russ, what's up? Good morning, Kyle. I'm, uh, I'm glad to be talking to you. I feel like we, we may be missing something. Feel like we are. Can't quite put our fingers on it. Maybe we will uh, figure it out by the end of the show. Um, this might be like yeah, Home Alone too. Did did we leave Adam in New York? I'm very, uh, <laughs> I'm very confused. I think I need Donald Trump to point me the right way. We so we are we're sans Adam this morning. Um, he may join us by the end of the show. We are unsure. We suspect he slept through his alarm, but uh, all good. We will carry on. Um, Quick uh, follow-up. We have, we have dropped out of the iTunes rankings, which is highly disappointing. So uh, we're, we're changing our tactics. I got a tweet yesterday. Someone gave us shit for continually asking for five-star reviews. So uh, I'm going to continue to do that. We've gotten, we've gotten 60 reviews. Uh, hey. 59 of them are five-star, and one is three-star. The three-star said, uh, I get props for building my own website, but that I am full of myself and Adam is a douchebag. And Russ, you escaped uh, all criticism. So congratulations there. Yes. Um, so our five-star review rate is very good. Do keep those coming. That actually helps uh, and, and looks good. Uh, but we're going to switch tactics now. If you like enjoy listening to this show and realize now that we are a semi-regular thing and can be a part of your daily commute, tell one friend about it. That's it. One friend who isn't already listening to the show, say, hey, got this new podcast. It's much better than the sports talk radio in the morning. Give it a try. Download it. Subscribe. Give it three shows. Give three shows a chance and see if you like it. So we're asking you to tell one friend. And um, listen, if we have to continue to grovel, I'm pretty sure that Kyle is going to have to live stream a video of himself in black and white with Sarah McLaughlin's in the arms of an angel behind him. And nobody wants to see that. I will do. I will kill for subscriptions. So um, keep them coming. Tell your friends, and uh, let's avoid the webcam of me uh, doing something completely ridiculous and selling my body for for uh, clicks and reviews. Um, well, let's get right to it. It's Monday, so on Mondays we do headlines, recapping the weekend that was. Somewhat briefly, first up, Phillies break their six-game skid with a win against the Nationals. I'm going to try and read these better than MCW on 97.52, by the way. Bum, bum, Phillies bra- Thanks. Phillies break six-game skid with, with a win against the Nationals. Uh, interesting game yesterday. I don't know if you saw it. Jason Worth, two home runs. He is killing the Phillies. He has 22 home runs and I think over 70 RBIs and just over 100 career games against the Phillies which is just absurd. He is now in, I didn't realize this, he is in the seventh year of that seven-year $126 million contract. And uh, Russ, like, I actually think um, that turned out to be a pretty good deal for the Nationals. Yeah, it, uh, it sure did. Um, it, I think it was, it was one of the, the moves that ultimately spelled the demise of our you know, potential dynasty Phillies. And at the time, I don't think a lot of people faulted. Well, I shouldn't say that. There was a chunk of the fan base that faulted ownership for not um, for not pursuing worth at a uh, and matching, with the fear that there was no right-handed bat for balance, which had always been the issue with Utley and Howard. And if you remember all of the nonsense that that ensued, the Raul Abanez, then you have three lefties, the Hunter Pence trade, and then how that only lasted about a year. Um, it really kind of caused that that imbalance and that uncertainty and, and lack of consistency that ultimately doomed the the Phillies bats. And yeah, Worth had some injury issues. Uh, he's had some injury issues during this this contract with the Nats, but I certainly would have preferred to have had him 
And while you were paying Ryan Howard a, an, an absurd number annually, um, it definitely looks like that, that Jason Worth deal would not have been the worst one for the Phils. This is this is like the Ruben Amara. First, I think Raul Raul came in 09, so I, I don't know how long he stuck around. I can't remember, but he was he was here with Worth for a little while. But you know, they plugged Pence in the next year, and Pence more or less did the same, if not a better job. 2011, they were really good with Pence. But if if you go back and think about it, the one guy everyone or I don't want to say everyone Ruben Amaro thought was completely replaceable on this team was Worth. Uh, he did not think Rollins was replaceable. He did not think Chase Utley or Ryan Howard or Carlos Ruiz were replaceable within the lineup. And it turns out, here we are seven years later, Worth is the only guy still playing in any sort of meaningful way. And he has been pretty consistently for those seven years. Yeah, there was a few injury issues there. But I'm like, sort of amazed. You look at, he has the same money contract as Howard, plus an additional two years, and he's still playing. It's... Um, uh, it's kind of disheartening when you look back at it and think that, um, you know, I, I never blamed Worth for taking the money. The reason I always got all, all over his shit and still and still do is he left here and took so many needless shots at the Phillies and the fans, and you could just tell how butthurt he was that he wasn't re-signed. But the Nationals were the only team at that, at that moment willing to give him that much money, and the Phils were nowhere close. And you can't really blame them. Hindsight is twenty twenty. But um, I, I just didn't like the way the way Worth has continually handled himself, and he'll get cheered when he comes back here for the alumni days. But right now he is he's the ultimate heel, and he is killing us. Um, anyway, maybe the worst headline read ever because I forgot to mention the Phillies came back, won the game, uh, three run home run by Aaron Altair, who's looking very very good. Um, tie game five five in the ninth. Incredibly, the Phils managed to not get a run in with two on and no outs with Knapp striking out Stasi the check swing the feared check swing bunt with first and second and one out in the bottom of the ninth and uh and then cesar hernandez with the fly out they found themselves in the same situation in the 10th but freddie galvis was able to uh, uh walk it off with a fly out to center so uh go fills breaking the breaking the the losing streak tough go after they had that winning record they played the dodgers the cubs and the nationals so um can't really fault them too much for struggling, but it would have been nice to not lose six in a row. Um, Russ, meanwhile, the Mets uh, are just a complete uh, shitstorm right now. Matt Harvey suspended. Uh, he claimed he had a migraine on Saturday. The Mets, there was some sort of miscommunication there. He showed up on Sunday and was informed that he had been suspended. He may be filing a grievance. He's been suspended three days without pay. Uh, his replacement was called up on Saturday, but the Mets didn't bother telling Harvey till he showed up on Sunday. Meanwhile, Noah Syndergaard has a torn lat, and the Mets tweeted out a dildo from one of the lockers after the game on Friday night. So all in all, maybe the most Mets weekend of all time. Yeah, um, and I, I will say, I think the Syndergaard uh, loss right now is actually worse for the Mets. Harvey has not had a good year so far. I know this because he's on my fantasy team. He's sporting a robust 5.14 ERA. Uh, he's given up 20 earned runs in 35 innings. He's not. Uh, he's definitely not been the, the ace quality that they've expected of him. And, uh, you know, migraines suck but you still have to do your job. A little Excedrin goes a long way, fella. I, I don't but he said he was golfing on Saturday and then he and then he came home with a migraine. That to me sounds like I had 17 beers on the course. Um but hey, pulling a John speaking, Daly. Look at him. 
just speaking from experience. Uh, Peter Laviolette advanced to the conference finals, saw a stat yesterday that he is one of only seven coaches since 1982 to take three different teams to the conference finals. Um, This is the point where I would remind everyone that the Flyers fired him in favor of Craig Berube. Chief! Do you... um, does, does that chafe you as much as it chafes me? I know they started that season. Was that after three or seven games? I can't remember. I think it was after eight. Something eight. like that. Yeah, it was, I mean, they, it was an absurdly they, low number of, of games. They started that season poorly, and the knock on lives is sort of the Tortorella, Mike Keenan knock that he just wears out his welcome and burns out teams. But uh, And Barubi did do a nice job of bouncing the Flyers back for the rest of that season. But, um, again, hindsight is twenty twenty. but... Laviolette's a good coach. He, you were he, right. It, it was three games. It was three games. Yep, three Christ. games. Oh, they started yeah. off 0-3. And yep. And they fired him. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I mean, and you look what he did. I mean, he came here. He seems to be the master of going places and immediately turning things around. And then he, he quickly wears out his welcome. But, um, you know, again, Craig Berube. Uh, that worked out maybe great. The, maybe the most Flyers thing. Like that, if you had to like take a Flyers move in a nutshell, that would be it. Let's fire the outsider coach who no one likes, but he's really good, uh, and hire one of our old goons to to oversee the team. It would um, be nice if uh, Barubi had you know gotten promoted, like everybody else who ever gets fly or you know gets fired from the Flyers. It just it's a great thing they do. I love so the promotion. I look- I looked at this a couple of weeks ago. Paul Holmgren's career. He that guy has fallen up. For the last 25 years. Go, do me a favor. If you're like, go look at Paul Holmgren's, I think it was, his, I guess his Wikipedia page. If not, just find a basic bio of him. He was, a, he coached in the 80s and wasn't successful for two different teams, the Flyers and uh, for the Whalers. I, I might have the second team wrong. Wasn't successful, fell upwards, eventually became GM, wasn't successful, fell upwards, is now the president. But go read it, because when you really spell it out, he has done nothing of consequence, and he just keeps falling up, and then he gets a, a National Hockey Award for dedication or citizenry to the game. It's it's incredible. It, absolutely incredible. Never underestimate uh, the benefits of being friends with Ed Snyder. Um, the Raptors are done. They got just obliterated by the Cleveland Cavaliers, and there is a just mild, I'd say mild internet chatter. The big lead, Jason McIntyre wrote that Kyle Lowry might might be done in Toronto, and one of the possible landing places he mentioned was the Sixers. I have kind of mentioned this in the past that I, I wouldn't, it's not that crazy to think about. Do you have any thoughts on this? Because I do. Yeah, I, I'll say this. I think Kyle Lowry is a, a lovely player. I think it would be, you know, a nice story for him to come home. I don't think it makes sense for Philly. I don't think it it moves the needle enough. I don't think that by the time Joel and Simmons and whoever they get in the in the draft this year, hopefully Markel Fultz, um, I, I don't think that Lowry's contract, because you're likely going to have to offer him a max, by the time you're a few years into that deal, I think you're you're just going to see it as wasted money. And when you could actually make a potential splash in free agency on a guy entering his prime, you'll have uh, you know buyer's remorse that you signed him. I think Lowry's likely going to leave Toronto. I, I don't see a, a path where he stays there. I think the writing has been on the wall that if you're in the Eastern Conference and LeBron is still LeBron, 
There is no shot of you making it pass. And yeah, you could make the case that the West is more competitive. You still have to get past the San Antonios and the Golden States of the world. But I think it's more likely that Lowry tries to sign on. I mean, I don't think it's a coincidence. You know, Tony Parker gets hurt. It looks like his career is not over, but he's been on the downside of his career. I would be really interested to see if Kyle Lowry, uh, you know, salary cap constraints be, you know, the thrown to the side on this one. But Lowry to the Spurs would, would essentially make them a legitimate threat more so than they already are to the Warriors and would certainly get Lowry on a exponentially better team and one that is better poised to contend for a title. That's Now, I haven't seen any kind of chatter about him going to the Spurs, but my point here is I just don't see why you would waste your time in Toronto again. They're not just a piece away, and you are certainly not going to beat LeBron. I think if he goes to a team that can legitimately beat the Warriors, and when I say beat them, I mean physically dominate them, the Spurs are that team and have always been that grinder team that legitimately could knock out the Warriors. And then you're set up for a you know a collision uh, with probably LeBron in the finals. That's just me. Uh, yeah, I, that's actually a good point. Lowry, as much as I like Lowry as a Villanova guy and think he is terrific, well-rounded, and one of the most exciting, maybe one of my favorite basketball players, maybe my favorite basketball player to ever watch. It, watching him with Nova in 05 and 06, what he was doing on what was already a good team, the dude is is a bulldog. He is insane on the court. Obviously, that gets dialed back a little bit by the time you hit 30 and you're in the NBA. He's a very well-rounded player, but he is not. You've seen this the last two years in the playoffs. Him and DeRozan. DeRozan's a little bit more of your prototypical you know, scorer, star type, but he's, he's kind of a small guy. Lowry is not a an alpha male in the playoffs which sucks because that dude is a winner and he's gotten a bad he's looked bad coming out of the last two years looking bad injuries walked off the court last year struggles um I, I think that I forget who the, I forget their coach's name that team every game I've watched in the playoffs the last two years they look just lost on the court their offense is simplistic it consists of giving DeRozan the ball and letting him do do what he does or having Lowry drive to the paint and kick which is Lowry's game but there is no flow no open shots it seems like they are constantly struggling to get an open shot and Lowry isn't quite that superstar level where you could just rely on a guy like him to get his own the way you could for those upper edge echelon guys like LeBron or Durant or Wade in his heyday or um I mean even Wall or uh, certainly Russell Westbrook. So I'm with you that Lowry's better in a team construct because he could do everything really well and nothing great. But that said, he is a two-time All-Star. He's still only 30 or 31. Yes, the Sixers would have to sign him to a max. Now, by the way, I'm not necessarily advocating for this, but I'll go first take and just argue the Lowry side of this because I can see it. First of all, Brian Colangelo signed him in Toronto. So um, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't put it outside the realm of possibility that he'd want to bring him here. He's obviously familiar with him and he had quite a bit of success in Toronto. Uh, Lowry's from Philly, also nice from a marketing standpoint. And let's face it, Ben Simmons is going to be sort of a weird hybrid trial point guard for a little while. And as much as people, I saw someone tweet the other day that T.J. McConnell was better than Kyle Lowry. Um, Give me a break. Okay, so you bring Lowry here. You take some of the pressure off Simmons. Lowry is used to playing with another ball-dominant guard in DeRozan, so it's not like he can't exist where he doesn't have the ball in his hand 
hands every time up the court. Uh, he would be a veteran presence on a team that sorely needs a veteran presence. I know the stats people sort of roll their eyes at that sort of thing, but it's not going to hurt to have a guy in his early 30s. Um, he's not 38. Basketball players have decent long shelf lives. Lowry, without the pressures of being one one or 1A one scoring option, can easily play into his mid-30s. I know he's a smallish guard. I know he's had some injury issues. I know he's a little overweight, but nothing super serious. Um, I don't think it's the craziest thing in the world. The Sixers have plenty of cap space. Yes, they'd be paying him over $30 million, but um, I don't think it would really restrict them from going out and getting another max level deal in there, considering they have so many young guys. So not necessarily advocating for it, but I don't think it is as crazy as some people would make it out to be. I was getting ready to go like full Stephen A. Smith. You said first take. I was I was about to yell at you as Stephen A. Smith. But I think I might I might have to save that. I just want to point out that if you do sign Lowry to a max deal, um, next year's salary uh, salary cap, yeah, they're they're well under. You run into an issue in 2018. In 2018, Joel Embiid's rookie contract runs out. He enters restricted free agency, where they need to tender him a qualifying offer. Um, Simmons is is clearly he doesn't hit free agency until or restricted free agency until 2020. So yeah, like for those two years, it's not that big of a deal. But when you go to to extend Embiid uh, his qualifying offer, you you just have to think about if you need to add a veteran piece at the deadline when the team is actually starting to make a move into the playoffs and and hopefully as a contender, you want to make sure that you have some some cap flexibility. So I would, I would certainly worry about the next two years or so. Uh, and then even beyond that, worrying about once Simmons and Sarich and even Cabaret, you know, TLC, Luau Cabaret hit free agency, um, in 2020, you want to make sure that you have money freed up. Now I will say, because I'm sure people will hate the fact that I mentioned TLC in that group, but if Brett Brown has been nothing else, he's been a fantastic player development guy. Um, you saw what he did with the Spurs, bringing in international guys and absolutely honing their craft and making them legitimate players. Uh, TLC was possibly the most improved player on the on the Sixers from the start of the year. Embiid mm-hmm. wasn't because I mean Embiid only had you know his thirty ish game game stretch and he was fantastic the entire time. Sarge had a really good second half of his season, but mm-hmm. TLC started off as a guy that people thought was going to be playing almost exclusively for the 87ers. And by the end, um, you know, they cleared out space and, and minutes for him to really kind of go to town as, as a starter for them. So, I mean, I, I think that kid has a lot of potential. He's got, he's uh, gifted athletically finishes at the rim. If he can extend his game a little bit farther beyond the, beyond the arc, I think, uh, you know, he'll be a legitimate steal late in the first round. And, you know, I think he, he will certainly fetch some money on the free agent market. But again, that won't be until 2020. Lowry is a lovely guy. I know he's a Nova dude. And so you kind of have to advocate for him. But the only way that he's going to be connected to Philly is as a way to increase his value uh, and pull at the heartstrings of, of Philly people as he inevitably goes to a team that has a legitimate chance to win in the next two years when he's still Fair. good. Fair, but keep in mind, he does keep a home here in the offseason, so I don't think he would be... He practice, he, he works out at Villanova all summer long, so he's not like... I, 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 wanna, I could see him wanting to come home as, as weighing the odds of going to a winner or moving living in his mansion in Villanova uh, for the entire year. But 
All right, points well taken. Uh, Joel Embiid, his rookie contract being up and starting to wind down in 2018 makes me just shake my damn head because he's played 31 games. Uh, It's kind of crazy to even think about. Uh, All right, moving on, a few other headlines. Barnaby's in Havertown burned down. Are you familiar? Have you ever been? You're from. Alabama I haven't been States, to that one. I've been not. to the one. I've been to the one in Westchester, which um, has love you, ha, has has good food. I like Barnaby's mm, in Westchester. I do not like. Are you going still to chewing Barnab- on the wings? Are I you don't still like uh, going to Barnaby's in Westchester on any night. Um, <laughs> no. I feel like when you go upstairs, you are likely to have some faux fake Italian Guido spray tan rub off on you uh, in the midst of just trying to get through the dance floor to find your friends. So. I, I did not Tank find myself... Tank tops and flap it. rims required. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, it is a shame. I, I know that you you had your joke with the wings and, uh, you know... I'm going to keep making it, too, because they are overcooked. But did we find um, out that it, nobody was inside? I don't want to make a joke about it if, if it, somebody was inside, because that I would don't certainly believe, be the worst thing to ever joke about. So I don't believe anyone was hurt, and I think the fire broke out like very early morning hours, 5, 6 a.m., and look... As a respected journalist that I am, I will I can't speculate about this, but the six AM Sunday morning fire is I, I would it is a curious time for a random fire to break out. Uh, we will I will just leave it at that. Um, hopefully it was just someone left a fryer on. But and consider I bet you there are some eyebrows raised as to the timing of the fire. Well, hopefully um, nobody was spraying Axe body spray. And uh, smoking a cigarette outside, because that would not be the most surprising way to start a fire at Barnaby's. I'm just yeah. saying. Uh, all right, shit no one cares about. Uh, I believe you have something. Yo, the Philadelphia Union won a game, unbelievably. Uh, they actually won a game this weekend. Uh, they won 3 nothing over their heated rivals, the New York Red Bulls. I will point out that it's a rivalry in the same way that most Philly teams consider a rivalry with anybody. It's really not a rivalry because in order for it to be a rivalry, you actually have to be good and sometimes win. So, uh, like, when we talk about the Philly-Dallas thing, that's legitimate, although a lot of Dallas fans consider the Giants to be their bigger rival. In a similar way, the Red Bulls would likely consider NYCFC, the other team in New York, to be a bigger rival, and even D.C. United. But whatever. The Union won. Um... A hat trick from C.J. Sapong led the way. Uh, good for them. They're still a, a dreadful team. And there was drama. Uh, there were two bits of drama. So uh, leading up to last week, there was a show on 610. It's the like the union's home-produced show. They brought in a guy who works for Red Bulls. I think he's their color analyst. And uh, he was actually on their, on their radio show and he threw Ernie Stewart, who's the sporting director, and Chris Albright, who's the technical director for the team, totally under the bus and said they're to blame for why the union are so bad, not the owner, Jay Sugarman. And it totally threw those hosts for a loop. They had to double back, like, double back after the guy came off the air to say what a great job they think that Stewart and Albright have done for the team and that they were <laughs> disappointed that this guy essentially went rogue on this union-produced show. So that was a little bit of drama. And then post-game... Kevin Kincaid, who's one of the the leading um, uh, beat writers for the union, he went to ask a question about C.J. Sapong, and the coach, Jim Curtin, just shut him down before he finished. And he's been critical of Sapong in the past, but he's also a guy who went out of his way to prove that C.J. Sapong's DUI charge from last year was not valid. 
And it, it turned out that when Sapong was suspended last year for having a DUI, his blood alcohol content didn't qualify. They actually, he was mistreated by the police. Um, it was a big deal, but he actually went through the, the MLS uh, rehabilitation program or whatever the, the program that he needs to go through in, in order to be eligible for games. So a little bit of side drama, but the union won a game. So yeah, nobody cares, you know, but, but you know, it's a thing. So there you go. I will say this. I wish the union were a bigger deal because they have some of, have had some of the more interesting drama with their with their ownership stuff, uh, some of these side issues. Their coach a few years ago going completely rogue. Um, I remember writing posts about it. I don't remember the particulars, but it was insane. He was flirting with teams over in Europe while he was still coaching the union. Like that was these Peter are sort Novak. of things. Yep. Yeah. He was, yeah. He was he insane. Was, it sounds like one of the worst there, people on planet Earth, by the way. Uh, yeah. There was a, a defender who they they had. Uh, he kept they kept sending him out on loan to South America and then he would flirt with coming back but then he would just use that as leverage and it was weird because like one of the teams in South America owned 33% of his contract and they had to sign off on any corresponding move that he would make like if you want to talk about a team that just has so many headaches off the field but is such good drama it's the union and they're they're oddly enough in, in a lot of ways, they kind of mirror the things that you see with the Flyers, the Sixers, the Eagles, the Phillies, except it all happens way to worse. them. Yeah, it all but happens it, to them, and it's, it's way all worse. all four of those teams' problems compounded into one. So yeah. they won. To the 252-day winless streak is over. So go Union. I look forward to seeing you in June when we, you know, I'm sure we'll get out there for a game. So that's exciting. And uh, also the Kentucky Derby. I forget which Mad Lib named horse one but uh i want to point out i love the kentucky derby i love all the big sporting events okay so uh, i like the masters is my favorite but the kentucky derby holds a special place um that said i want i need to point out that their broadcast is exactly the same every single year you get like six hours of coverage leading up to the 92nd race um you get the story about the down and out trainer this year was the guy who can never win the big one he has the knock he can never win the kentucky derby you get the crazy ass crazy ass jockey story uh one of the jockeys this year was kidnapped yes. uh, and now he's back back on the top of his game riding in the you know Kentucky how he Derby. got back right uh no i don't even care there was there was a but phone call place i don't know who you are i don't know <laughs> what you want if it's money i don't have a lot of it anyway yeah liam nice. neeson man he gets everybody back um you have the long shot owner you know the guy who put in like 10 grand on the horse with his buddies and now he can't believe himself he's a con- Kentucky Derby and let's interview his kids, his douchebag kids who who were wearing uh, you know bro clothes uh, there on the winter circle. Uh, you got the shot of the mint juleps. You have uh, airplanes in the airport. You have to have the shot of seven thousand airplanes lined up. Look, we had nowhere to put them. They're on the grass. Um, and you have Bob Costas giving his his annual poem about horse racing. Though I will <laughs> say this year that there was less Bob Costas because Mike Tarico is slowly subsuming every piece of uh, implanted hair on Haas. Costas's head, and he is uh, moving further to the background. Tariko has taken his role as the Olympics host, and he seems to be taking over at least part of his Kentucky Derby du- duties. Uh, my favorite part, however, is horse friends. After they win, when they when the uh, the woman goes out on the horse and interviews the winning horse from a horseback, and the two horses meet with that third horse, who's like the guide horse, and they're all like rubbing snouts. I never have any idea what is said during that interview because I'm just I find it so adorable to watch three horses rubbing their snouts together. So uh, yeah, it's pretty much like yeah. going to Barnaby's at night and uh, seeing. <laughs> all right, never mind. <laughs> But that is, uh, anyway, that the Kentucky Derby's broadcast is identical every other year, and you just 
pop in a new horse and a new name, and it is absolutely a Mad Lib, that event. Um, last one here. This is the Penn State story, which is just, I don't know how much play it's going to get in the sports uh, area around here, because it's really not sports, but it fits our audience well. Um, this hazing story, kids charged with... Um, some sort of negligence. I, I should probably get this right. Uh, after a hazing incident at Penn State, uh, I guess a year or so ago, where a guy fell down the steps, he was drunk, he was finishing pledging for his fraternity. Um, a bunch of the kids were just what charged with uh, convicted of something negligence, manslaughter. Uh, I will get it right. But did you read the details of this? It, they, yeah, this story on <laughs> Philly.com is completely insane. It's so disappointing on so many levels. There were so many opportunities for guys in that fraternity to really stand up for, you know, what what you're supposed to be there for, right? Which is which supposedly is brotherhood, right? And there were so many guys who had the 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 ability and the potential to save this this young guy's life. And one of the I guess more upsetting parts was that there was actually a uh, brother in the house who had said it's time to take him to the hospital. He needs to see a doctor. And he was reportedly told there are kinesiology and biology majors in this house. Their opinions are more valid than yours. And it is it is just a disgusting, terrible thing that these people did. And, and look, I think a lot of people, if you've been to college, you've likely been to a party where you've seen somebody who was absolutely ob- obliterated. But you don't just turn your back on them. And especially if they're going through your fraternity and that and you're trying to look to to bring them into whatever special thing you have going on, if you see somebody who's legitimately distressed and in trouble, you've got to help them. This idea that, no, he's going to just, he'll, he'll sleep it off. No. They said how many times the guy fell off the couch, fell down the stairs, hit his head on something. And there, they said that there were people who would walk to the kitchen and just step over him. I mean, it's disgusting. They said that at one point they put a backpack full of textbooks on him so that he wouldn't choke on his own vomit. I mean, if you have to do that, you've gotten to a point where it is time to get the guy help. And need I remind these guys that in the state of Pennsylvania, you can call for help. And even if the guy was underage, you will not get in trouble for whatever has happened, Because uh, you know, at, at least for providing alcohol to a minor because you're calling for life-saving help. So these guys just blew it on so many levels. And there's no way for them to really, uh, you know, I don't see a way for redemption. I'm assuming that Penn State is likely, if they haven't already, they're going to, you know, ban this uh, fraternity from campus. And it's really going to put a black eye, again, on Greek life at Penn State and across the country. And every time there's a hazing scandal... You know, you just run into more and more of these scenarios. I mean, I'll tell you, at, at Westchester University, if you have a fraternity, even in the case of one that's not Greek life, like one that's quasi-Greek affiliated or is, you know, even related to the, the school of music, you have to meet with the, um, I think it's the student life and activities coordinator who has you run through your entire uh, process to make sure that there is nothing that can even be remotely considered as hazing. And you have to go through this entire thing every year for them to to keep recognizing your organization on campus. So the I, I have to assume that Penn well, State does it, and it's just it's reprehensible. Me, uh, yeah. So I, look, I I was in a fraternity at Nova, so I've been on both sides of this fence: the pledging side and the brother side. Um, 
the details of this are just crazy. Like they, there's a certain, you all do, everyone does stupid shit in a fraternity, but the details of this are absolutely nuts. The guy fell down the steps. He had a growing bruise on his body. They stepped on his legs to try and keep him from rolling over. Um, they were slid, slapping him to wake him up, pouring cold water on him. All things you do when someone's like, oh, they conked out. And then when they don't wake up for 30 minutes and they have a growing bruise and they're vomiting on themselves, then you know you have a problem. Um, but this is like, this is douchebaggery. Like, I, I don't know. I'm, every fraternity experience, I'm sure, is way different. Mine, mine was this. Like, the pledges in our frat, when I was a pledge, like, there's always some amount of fear you have of the brothers. They're really going to mess with you. The end of the day, the whole point of pledging is about sort of proving your worth um, every now and then, you know, maybe you got to do a little bit of a crazy drinking stunt or do something a little bit gross. But 90% of it is just being like, it's, it's more or less so the brothers can feel good about themselves and have someone do things they don't want to do. For instance, run rides to an off-campus party, which is sort of like essential to have a party at Villanova. You got to stay sober and drive people back and forth, which is a smart, is a good use of a pledge. Have someone who's sober to get people to the party safely. Have someone clean up after a party. College parties are a shit show and no one wants to go through the bathroom after that. Let the pledges do it. I had a dead squirrel outside my door for for three weeks, and I had the pledges clean that. Like all, like these are the things you have pledges do stuff you don't want to do. And then when you're a brother, when you're a pledge, you got to put up with it. And maybe you do something a little humiliating, like show up to a party wearing you know shirtless, wearing a lay, and you know chest pain or something like that, and you get made fun of a little bit. But but I not never, die. That exactly. is not like, that is not part of it. What I'm driving at here is I don't recall us ever doing anything. And again, I know every fraternity is different, but I don't recall us ever doing anything that was even remotely dangerous. It was almost all in good fun. And if there was ever something we did, whether it was I was a pledge or when I was a brother, like it was never if someone seriously had a problem of pledges like, yo, this is crazy. I'm not doing this or I don't want to do this or I'm uncomfortable doing this. I'm why everyone was good natured about it. Like, fine, this is, you know, this is all in good fun. This is a, this is a social group. It's, we're not trying to get each other killed here. We're all at the end of the day, decent, decent dudes. Um, the kids at Penn state just sounds like it's, it's one Greek life is, you know, like guys in frats get a bad name because of total douchebags like like these guys at Penn State um, and to put your own interests covering your own ass because you don't want to get your frat in trouble when a guy's sitting there dying on your couch you know fuck you um, those guys were eight of them were charged with involuntary manslaughter by the way and I hope they all get convicted because that's that's terrible um, let's let's do a few questions here uh, Adam wanted to opine on this one so uh, maybe we'll do it and follow up on next week for him but we'll take it right now this is from at GM break. Uh, why is it so hard to look at and respect Doug P as a legit NFL coach? Uh, I have some thoughts here. Real simple. Uh, one, he looks like a boob. Uh, two, he has no prior track record. And I'm not going to sit here and say that he is incapable of being a good coach. I think we saw at the beginning of last season that he connects with his players well. Um, he has a bit of a unique scheme that with the right weapons, he extracted a lot out of that miserable offense last year, especially mm-hmm. in the first half of the year. So he gets a lot of credit for that. Um, but beyond that, he doesn't. There's he has no history. He was he was the an offensive coordinator calling plays in the NFL for half a season, 
and only half of the games. He's he's called like a quarter of the quarters in a given season as an offensive coordinator, and then he was thrust into a head coaching role, largely because of the recommendation of Andy Reid, who was Jeffrey Lurie's boy. Like, there there's just no track record here. He was coaching high school before that. He wasn't a good player. Like, no one has ever come forward and said, wow, Doug Peterson, what a great NFL mind. Maybe he is, but he is Andy Reid light to a T, and until he does something in the NFL and... Never mind the fact that before the first season started, he twice stood up at a podium and uh, showed that he didn't fully understand the rules, like actual rules about the procedure and process of coaching with how many headsets you can have, like basic stuff that a coach should know. Uh, and never mind his his explanations for why he elected to punt or kick a field goal uh, in, in several fourth quarter situations last year. So I'm not uh, saying we can't respect Doug as a head coach, but everything we've seen thus far, except for those first three Eagles wins, has been a guy who got the job because of a recommendation and has continually been not fully prepared enough to be a coach in the league. So until we see him do something consistently that shows that he is, I don't think he deserves that much respect, and I will continue calling him a boob. He's uh, he's actually up for two awards this year. I don't know if you knew this. He's up for the Jesus. Uncle Uncle Rico Memorial Award for Uncle Most Likely to Try to Throw a Football Over a Mountain. And he's also up for the Paul Holmgren Falling Up on Your Path to Stardom in uh, Executive. That was a really bad award. I lost my train of thought. <laughs> I apologize to everyone. But yeah, the, the, Craig, the, uh, yeah, the Paul Holmgren Falling Up Award. There, that's better. Let's just edit out the other thing. Or not. Keep it in there. That's fine. Everybody makes mistakes, right? Right. That's how we're here. That's all you got. <laughs> That's all I got. Do you, dis- do you disagree with anything I said, or is that, nope. like, totally reasonable? No. Okay. It, it's just, it's the visor. It's the visor and the hair. And it's yep. it's just, he seems aloof. He, and, and here's the other thing. He came off the Andy Reid coaching tree, and... And there's still always going to be a, a little bit of, of vitriol aimed at, at Andy Reid, although I think there are people now, you've seen a growing percentage of the fan base who, who in with hindsight, kind of wish he either would have stayed or he would have been brought back, which is, is odd to think based on how, how bad it was when he left. Um, but he was he was Andy's assistant coach, and that, that kind of thing is always going to you know stick to him for better or worse. So I think those things all kind of kind of play in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, let's do a qu- couple of quick segments before we get out of here. Um, jump the shark. We're going to do jump the shark today. Mine is uh, flat brim caps. I'm I've been down the shore all weekend. I'm still down the shore. I was on the boardwalk, Ocean City boardwalk, over the weekend. Uh, went and there's a new Mitchell and Ness store, by the way. There's all campus. I always like to go in, find a new hat or two. And as a 25 plus year old male, I can no longer. I never could wear flat brim caps, but I'm no longer eligible to wear them. But there is a large percentage of the population that has heads shaped like mine, which is to say normal and not bulbous, uh, who can't in any good conscience wear boxy, flat brimmed caps, half cocked to the side. And I feel like every cap manufacturer for the last six years now is focusing all of their creative design efforts on the flat brim caps. And when you go to the normal headed caps that are invariably in the back of the store, I don't want to call them dad caps yet because there are a lot of people who do not wear flat brim caps and who are also not dads. Uh, there is, there's just like no design effort. You get the same caps every year. You get the 47 franchise, you know, floppy cap. You get, you get a new era hat with just the logo on, 
on this team's secondary color. You get no creative design. Then you walk to the front of the store, you're like, shit. Like, I saw this Sixers hat, light blue background, just with the white stars and a red brim. Awesome looking cap if it wasn't like seven feet high with a flat brim. I would have bought it in almost any other configuration. So for me, flat brim caps have jumped a shark. Uh, please, please start paying attention to everyone else who isn't, isn't a rapper. Flat brim caps are like the top hats of their time. The higher, the better. Um, I think for, for mine, I'm going to kind of stick with the shore theme. Uh, I'm sick and tired of seeing the, um, the, the bro tank top things on the, on the beach that have the, uh, the, the most common lingo of, of the youth. Um, I especially hate the ones that have emojis in place of wording now, um, I just I just hate shore clothes. I think that's really what it comes down to. If it's been set on MTV in the last three weeks, it's likely going to be on every storefront uh, at the shore. And I just I, I it just it irks me to no end. Those t-shirt shops, uh, they're always invariably right next to the hat places. So I went in a couple because a couple years ago, one of the ones on Wildwood lifted one of our t-shirt designs. So I always walk in to see if if they like just straight straight up ganked one of my t-shirts and then i'll go look for the owner i've yet to find one in ocean city uh but the they just like just straight up steal team logos like i don't know how at some point they haven't gotten letters from a lawyer i know they're only like localized shops but there's a ton of foot traffic they're all across the shore and there's just flyers logos and eagles logos and none of them are licensed they are they are just logo ripoffs i don't know how they're able to get away with that i i i I put up you know uh, or you know you you put up a shirt that even like like slowly references joel and bead and you'll get slapped with a cease and desist and yet these teams these stores on the boardwalk could just put straight up sports teams logos and not get hit with anything i i don't get it um finally walking the kinwood trail uh this, this is easy uh the mets it's so nice i know the phillies aren't good yet and the nationals are going to kick our ass all season but it is so nice to see the mets uh finally being the mets again harvey Cindergard, Yoannis, all on the dl they're tweeting out pictures of dongs and there are now columns in the new york post blaming their recent uh, bout of injuries on the guys being too in shape, lifting too many weights. There was an article about how Cindergard or a column, how Cindergard gained 17 pounds of muscle and now he has a torn lat and he's probably going to be on the 60-day DL. So I am thoroughly enjoying that you have columnists in New York who feel compelled to write articles that the Mets are too in shape and too physically fit to play baseball without getting injured. Walking the Kinwood Trail, the Mets. Um, I'm going to go with Phil Jackson, who has absolutely run the Knicks into the ground. And um, it came out over the weekend that Chris Haps Porzingis, he claims he was hacked, um, but after fielding, reportedly fielding multiple calls from teams um, looking to trade for Porzingis, Porzingis uh, tweeted on the 6th at 8.05 p.m., LA Clippers, with three smiley face emojis, claims he was hacked, he was in Spain for the Barcelona-Villarreal match, um, but... It, it is a yet, yet again, like even if you if he was hacked, it's just another slight black eye on the Knicks. And it and a lot of it has to do with Phil Jackson, who was brought in to resurrect the franchise and has done nothing but probably speed up their uh, inevitable descent into the doldrums of NBA obscurity. So it is uh, it's upsetting for those fans, um, not for Sixers fans. I've enjoyed watching the uh, train wreck. I've actually got my popcorn ready. I'm going to uh, likely heat it up over the fire that is the Knicks. Is there anyone who has benefited more from the people around him than Phil Jackson? 
Like, I'm not saying he's not. He wasn't a great coach for a time. But the guy got to coach Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, and Shaquille O'Neal, and Scottie Pippen, all in their primes. Like I know where I, you're going with it, but I, I can't I can't fully endorse it. Yeah, you can you can have a great player and still not be a great coach. Look at all the coaches that LeBron had in Cleveland when they started. Like I get right, but that wait, he didn't, have, me he didn't have the supporting task. Tyrone Lue were great coaches. No, Tyrone Lue certainly not. LeBron at this point in his career could coach. You know, he's in the Peyton Manning kind of stratosphere of. But you so know, was he Michael be, Jordan. He could be his own coach. Yeah, I don't <laughs> so know. So Kobe and Shaq. Like, look, I, yeah, he, he did some innovative things, a triangle offense. I, yeah, I get it. But like, you know, I a lot of luck there. A lot of luck. I, what was, what was the guy's Jackson. name that that coached the the Cavs? The guy they brought in from Russia, uh, David uh, David Black. No, was it Black? Yes, yeah, yeah it was yeah, Black. Black. Yeah, now he was a good coach, right? He was supposed to be a good coach coming in, and he couldn't manage LeBron's ego. Like, is that his fault? No. Was LeBron a transcendent talent? Yes. I mean, you you have to be able to strike the the right kind of balance between being a coach and a friend. And even take a look back to circle back to our initial conversation. Peter Laviolette was the same way, right? Like he mm-hmm. can get a lot out of his out of his teams. He's he's you know a great X's and O's coach. He does a great job of motivating, get some jam in here kind of guy. But like ultimately, he doesn't strike that balance where he needs to you know be on his his team's side on the player's side from time to time, and it eventually burns out, just like the Tortorellas, like you mentioned before. So yeah, did did Phil Jackson happen to to fall into coaching Jordan in his prime? Yes. Does it probably grind Doug Collins' gears to to this day? Yes. Does Doug Collins likely have a voodoo doll to, you know, poke and prod at Phil Jackson? Absolutely. But now I think Jackson is kind of getting his basketball karma. He he rode in on his ego and his reputation and he's proven to be an absolute flop as a, uh, a basketball president, um, you know, f- executive front office guy. So, hey, I hope he's there for the next 30 years because that will just be one less threat to the uh, the 2020 NBA champion Philadelphia 76ers, led by Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, and certainly not Kyle Lowry. As walking the Kenwood Trail, Phil Jackson, presumably with his pants fully on. By the way, Doug Overton claimed, uh, for whom this award is named, that he was uh, just urinating. Uh, when he was walking the Kenwood Trail with <laughs> it out. That's a long um, pee, man. That is, that is a, a long... To walk up to people and... Whoo, ballsy and marking, to take the, the strolling well, pee, especially if you're well, moving forward. If you're strolling and peeing, you got to be moving backwards. Um, anyway, that's our show. Uh, we expect Adam back on Wednesday if he wakes up. Um, thanks for listening. Again, we welcome comments, feedback, and, of course, questions. Do keep leaving those five-star reviews in iTunes or Apple Podcasts, whatever they're calling it now. But also, if you enjoy the show... Uh, tell one friend about it. Tell them to subscribe and download and li- give it a three-show chance, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 7 a.m. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you on Wednesday. Bye, everybody.